You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know, when lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout Eureka, do whatever you'd like, you'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly mic drop moments that led you to becoming an artist, a prolific director on Broadway and off. Some of Lee Silverman's credits include Violet, Grand Horizons, The Lifespans of a Fact, Chinglish, well, Suffs, the search for signs of intelligent life in the universe, soft power, Sandra, Hurricane, Diane, the Wild Party, and really Rosie, a Tony Award nominee. Lee has directed over 60 world premieres and musicals. Her latest show, Marry Me, is now playing at New York Theatre Workshop. Lee will soon be reuniting with Billy Crudup, directing him at the Berkeley Rep production of Harry Clark. He performed the show at the Vineyard and Audible Theaters. Welcome, Lee. It's such a joy to have you on the show. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, and congratulations on Marry Me. So thank you. you well, what is the joy? Of doing Marry Me. <laughs> and there's a lot of joy. <laughs> there is a lot of joy. I mean, I will say comedy that dumb is quite difficult. So the real joy of it is just sitting in that audience at night and listening to the laughter. And, you know, people are really uh, desperate for a laugh right now. It's a really, really hard time. People are coming in very heavy and very, uh, you know, just the onslaught of terrible news in the world. And to be able to provide 90 minutes of pure escape, pure delight, you know, just it, it is really and like a bomb for me personally to be in that theater every night and just such a great payoff to all of the very, very hard work that we've done to, to get there. Now, I know you and Hansel are real collaborators. When did this come into your life? When did you say, okay, let's do this sex rob? of a play. <laughs> it's weird. Well, it's so funny. You know, she has a slightly different version of this story than okay. I do. But we, when we were doing her play Wild Goose Dreams, it, which was a very sad play and very much tapped right into um, Hansel's feelings about being an immigrant in this country and being from South Korea and 
it was a very beautiful, but very dark piece of theater. And we did it in the winter. And we were walking from tech one day to Whole Foods to get some soup because we were both sick. And I just said, Hansel, the next play has to be a comedy. And, uh, and she said, well, what kind of comedy? And I said, well, why don't you write me a lesbian sex farce? And, you know, I have to say, I never thought she would do it. It seemed so outside of her wheelhouse. Our two plays that we had worked on together previously, Cardboard Piano and Wild Goose Dreams, were very dark dramas. And I just thought it was uh, kind of like a funny challenge to give to her. And then she met it, which is really one of the crazy things about Pencil, which is that she really likes to defy expectations and she liked the challenge. And she, in her way, which is so unique, she read Five Lesbian Brothers. She read Split Britches. She, you know, she's in this place. She's really calling on all of our queer ancestors, past, present, and future, and putting it into really just the craziest blender with the Greeks, with our town, with, I mean, it's heady as a, as a piece of theater. It is full of references. And yet I like to say that it operates the way that the Muppet Show operates, which is that like, you can be five-year-olds and not know like any of the references, or you can be a very you know, deep nerd and know all of the references, but it is, it, I really feel like they're saying something for everyone. But she, she dedicated the play to me. She wrote it because I challenged her to, and I am so grateful. Really, never happened before. What was it about this kind of play that you said, I challenge you like part restoration, part, what was it about this genre that you oh. thought, I've got it, you've got to do this? That, that was all her. The restoration was all her. Yeah. I just thought she was going to, write like a funny farce. And instead, she really went back to, I mean, she started with the Greeks and restoration comedy and the country wife. And the main character in our play is named Shane Horn. And the main character in the country wife is named Harry Horner. And so she really was like, oh, I'm going to take that restoration penis and turn it into a vagina and give it the first name of the main character of the L word and like it'll all be good but then but then she because she just has such an amazing brain for structure um she kept finding different ways to reference and pay tribute to and subvert types and kinds of theater queer and not that that sort of supported the story that she wanted to tell um, which in some ways is a twist on the country wife, but it, yeah. but really at its heart is a play about female sexuality, female desire, and nonviolence. Yes, which is so key, especially now. If somebody yeah. were to ask you, what is Marry Me about? You know, what would you tell them? Or what? how would you describe the play? You know, I have this problem with a lot of plays that I direct. It's They're very hard to describe because I'm so interested in shapeshifters and genre benders and this play is so uh, exception to that rule i would say that marry me is a um incredibly queered up cocktail of a play about a group of people stationed on an army base and the you know sexual shenanigans that they get into and kind of leave it at that because if you get into too much more it really becomes a spoiler yeah because you really want to experience it as you're watching it you know, it really has to yeah. be experienced. There's a lot of surprises. Yeah. That's for sure. You just have to kind of strap yourself in 
and get on the roller coaster and go from there. Exactly. Exactly. And what is it about New York Theater Workshop where you thought this has got to be? I know you you have very deep roots with New York Theater Workshop. Very deep roots. But I have to say that this is my third show that I've directed there. I was an intern there in 1996, so I really feel like it's my theatrical home. But all this is the third of three plays that I've directed there that all are um, written by women, comedies that deal with female sexuality. So I did Oedipus of Palm Springs, the last five lesbian brothers play. I did um, Hurricane Diane, Madeline George's play. And and now this. And I have to say, it's quite a trilogy. And I don't know of another theater in New York that would produce those three plays and cel- celebrate them, you know, in the way that that they do. And I, I really feel like particularly because this is Patricia's first full season as artistic director, in a way, it feels like she's paying homage to Jim and his taste, the, the artists who came through there before, like the Five Lesbian Brothers. And I, I really was quite delighted that Patricia, upon hearing one reading of this play, committed on the spot to it. And she just was so confident that this was the play that people needed. This was the laugh that they needed to have. This was the the weird and adventuresome story that needed to be told. Hansel is a you know an artist there who you know, I just think this is for Patricia to just agree kind of on the spot to produce this weird play in a way it's really such a testament to her vision and her belief in the artists that surround the New York Theater Workshop community. And I feel really grateful for the opportunity to to do this play there. It feels it feels like exactly the right spot. It's in a good it's in a good lineage of these kinds of plays. Because they really take risks. And then I think about the with risks you. they took with rent and hey these t- and exactly, you know, and how, yeah, they really trust the artist and celebrate the artist. They do. I mean, when I walked into New York Theater Workshop in 1996, Rent was happening in that space. And I, you know, had never seen anything like it. Like I, like the rest of us, it was like, I haven't seen these people on stage. I haven't seen those stories told in this way. And that was really, I was like, I found my people, you know, and I think the workshop has continued to support those kinds of stories. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And those kinds of voices. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Certainly in the year since then. And I imagine it always is evolving and always changes. But when you have a script and then you're going to stage it, I, I love seeing your productions and how eclectic they are and, you know, and your, how inventive you are. And I think about 
just looking at your canon of work at this point, you're from <laughs> Violet and your Grand Horizons and, you know, everything, Harry Clark, which you're going to do again at Berkeley, yeah. you know, that they're all, you know, they're all so different and they're all so special in their own way. And they all tell these beautiful stories and get me inside, you know, that you get me Thank into, you. that you get me into the layers, you know, you get me like, into these stories and into these characters and I care so deeply, you know, and I think, well, do you mind sharing? Is it hard to put into words? Like when you get the script, then, you know, how you think, okay, I'm going to take the script and it's going to be three dimensional. Yeah. How does that happen for you? I mean, it's such a, I mean, I'm a director because of the writers that I work with. You know, I I don't have a lot of stories that I want to tell that I'm like, oh, I read that Shakespeare play and now I'm going to do my version of it. I don't feel that way. I am not. I wish I was in some cases more of that kind of auteur director. I feel like my interest, the thing that gets me going is a great story told well and theatrically, much more so than, you know, oh, I have a take on something. I like collaboration. I like the thing that you can get to when both when you agree and disagree about something theatrically with a writer, with a group of actors, with designers. I'm really interested in how to, uh, I don't know, you know, excavate a story. And I, you know, it's re every project is a snowflake in a way, you know, it's its own, it's its own magical, weird, thorny, you know, problem that you are trying to solve. And I think with most theater, the only thing that it has in common, at least in my experience, is that you start off and you have like hopes and dreams and then it's just nothing but problems. And you never end up where you think you're going to end up. And if you're successful, and by that I mean if you've just been able to make the problems a virtue, make anything that has been hard from a production side, from a collaboration side, from a storytelling side, from a work with a designer and after anything that is a challenge, if you can embrace it and make it a virtue somehow and contribute, and that the overall experience, even though you maybe haven't ended up exactly where you thought, it is still, it, that process has been productive. That to me is what feels like success. Also, when you feel like the writer wants to work with you again, that feels like success, you know, that the sense of someone saying, you know, and Hansel is one of those people, David Henry Wong is one of those people, uh, David Kale is one of those people who, after going through a process, you say, you know, I want to get back in there with you um, because there's always problems. There's always, um, how are we going to solve X, Y, and Z thing? Big part of the play, which we thought made so much sense, makes no sense. Like, how do we do all of these various? How do we make this story clear and how do we know what we want the story to be and how do we each contribute to each other's work so that I can give suggestions, someone can give suggestions to me, an actor can give suggestions, and then I can like synthesize it and try and um, deliver something to an audience. And it requires trust, vulnerability, some level of just like you have to put yourself into like some zone of amnesia where you don't remember what happened the day before. So as a director, you can come in fresh eyed and see it again without um, getting 
tired of it or without getting frustrated with it. Um, you know, you bring a hefty dose of like adventuresome impatience. And then this thing happens when you put it in front of an audience where you just start learning very quickly. You learn more quickly in one performance than you do for four weeks of a rehearsal process. And so you have to then be able to assimilate the things that you learn very quickly, both what works, what doesn't work, but also like in this case, Hansel and I are listening for very different things. And even though she's listening for structure and form, I'm listening for performance and audience response and truth telling and where we go off the rails and where we're connecting. And uh, it's like where those tracks are parallel, but different. And then we kind of report back to each other. And then there's a huge amount of trust that comes from the actors in the preview period, because you come in every day and you say, here's 30 new pages. Um, you know, of an 80 page play. So if a third of the play is going to change every day during previews, you know, it's a very, it makes for a quite a robust process. And the actors are tired and they look at you like, really, we got to change, yeah. you know, and particularly with console, she'll take like three words from one sentence, three words from the next sentence and just like switch their places. So it's like just enough because she's looking for the right rhythm, the right joke. Um, she's very attuned to both sentence structure and the rhythm of words. She really, in a way, like she's really from a musical background. So she really understands rhythm with language in a way that is so deep. And it is a really, it's a really wild ride. And so somehow if you can get to the end of that and feel like you're communicating story, tone, style, you feel like all the actors are in the same play, you can feel their commitment, you can feel... Um, uh, you know, that you're, that the audience is receiving, you know, most of what you've been trying to put forward, that feels, you know, that's kind of what I'm after. So, so every process of how you get there is different. And sometimes you don't get very close. And sometimes you feel like you've really um, gotten as close as you can get in that moment. And, and then mostly like they, they say, okay, now you have to step away, you know, and it's such an intense moment for a director to feel like you've kind of worked yourself out of a job. <laughs> It's like giving birth almost. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of, I mean, and like giving birth to an adult. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and I think about how you're revisiting Harry Clark, which I saw what at Audible Theaters, you know, yeah. back, and it was at Vineyard. What, what inspired you to go back to Harry Clark with you know, Billy Crew that? With Billy. Yeah. You know, we, so we did it at the Vineyard and then we did it again at Audible at the Veneta Lane. And then, we were going to do it again in LA in 2020 when the pandemic hit and it was canceled and then it was rescheduled for 21 and canceled again. And we really felt like, oh, we're just, you know, not going to be able to ever do it again. And Billy had a new TV show that he was working on. He had the morning show. I mean, he was just having, he's had such success in television and um, it's, it was wild. I mean, Joanna Felser, who run Berkeley Rev called and said, you know, I just, Harry Clark is really one of my most favorite plays I've ever done. Do you think that Billy would want to do it again? And we just started to have a conversation about what it would look like. And in a way, I think because we were supposed to have done it and weren't able to because of the pandemic, we both still had a little lingering feeling of wanting to do it. And where Billy's really very, it's, it's funny to, to revisit something after five years and you know, it's just like life has changed so much um, for everybody. And yet, like you still have, you know, this itch to get back to it, to continue to work something out. I was just talking to him today about it. And he, he's, he said, oh, I have so many new ideas for this one part. 
And I just think that's like an incredible luxury. I rarely get to go back to shows, you know, sometimes like with SUPS or with shows that I know are, you know, hopeful that it's going to move on. You, you're able to get back in there. But with this kind of project, it's been a number of years and you just think, oh, I'll never get to, to work on it again. And here's the chance to get back in there. And particularly with somebody like Billy, who is just the most extraordinary human being and performer. And I'm just so excited to be back in that world. Is the choreography different because it's, you know, one person versus, you know, you think of the cast of Suffs, you know, like a lot of people, a lot of actors there trying to. Yeah. Maneuver. I mean, the, for Billy, it's going to be a, I think a pretty similar production. We have the same set design, you know, yeah. it's really, I mean, even though it's been a number of years, it's sort of a remount Suffs. It's going to be completely different. I have a whole new design team. I have a new choreographer. So I'm really, I, the, we're very deep in on the reconception, done a ton of work in the last year and a half. I don't know, there's probably 14 new songs of the 17 songs in the show. I mean, it is really like, it's, and that's in a way, I don't know, like, why do it the same when you can have new ideas and continue to work and have the luxury of having the chance to do things again? I certainly have had many shows that I wish went on to have a second life so that I could improve upon them and they never did. So it's like, you really, when these opportunities come along, just, at least for me, I just feel like, oh, like rigorous about wanting to revisit and, and re-interrogate. Well, I'd love to talk about your lightning strikes moment. I remember years ago, you told me about going to Cambridge to a theater program, oh, yeah. doing a monologue and how it's rocked your world. But when did you know that you had to be an artist when this was your or yeah, the moment? I mean... I think for me, it's, I really, I loved theater. I loved, I didn't see a lot of theater when I was a kid, but I was an only child and I would make up plays all the time. And I had, my dad built me a little stage in my playroom and I would just invite friends over and we would do it. Like I was that kid who was just like constantly like, you know, acting out scenes from Annie, basically like down on all fours with a bucket. Like I just was like, you know, I was just that kid. And my mom died when I was 14 and I was so lonely. I was such a lonely kid. I was an only child and it was a very sad, hard time. And I really felt that theater was the world that made sense as opposed to the world that I was living in and the family that I felt there, the camaraderie that I felt there, the way that you could have, you could lose yourself. And I think now as an adult person, I actually feel like I go to theater to find myself, to feel recognition, to feel in community with the, my fellow audience members, to understand something new about the human condition from the show that I'm seeing. But I think at that time, it was an escape. Mm -hmm. And in either case, it was like, and continues to be the place that I most want to be, where things make the most sense and where I can feel, whether because I disappear or find myself, it is, it is the, the world, the realm, I guess, that, that really has always called to me. And I have on many occasions felt like, oh, I can't, continuing to live the life of a freelance director sucks. And, you know, there were just so many years where I was 
desperate for a more stable life, more money, more security, less travel. I felt like I compromised so much. I felt like there was so much sexism in the business. I felt really, I have had many, many times and, and, you know, very recently in the pandemic where I just thought this is absolutely not the place. And whether it is my own stubbornness or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, it just continues to be, um, where I want to spend my time, where I want to learn. Leadership is so important to me and where I want to keep learning how to be a good leader, where I want to be inspired by people. And it continues to be the place that I think, like right now, I think it is a very painful time. And being in that room and hearing people laugh and telling this story and having people talk back to those actors on stage and all the things that happen, I just think, that is what theater is for. It is for the toughest times to bring people together and give them an opportunity to laugh and feel connection. And there's this amazing quote from this play that I directed, the revival of Jane Wagner's The the Science of Search of Intelligent Life in the Universe that I did with Cecily Strong. And, you know, the space aliens in that show, when they come to learn about humans they go to the theater because they can appreciate in that moment what it is for humans to sit in the dark laughing and how that is the definition of humanity that feeling that's i'm doing a very bad job of paraphrasing it but that's the kind of linchpin of that play is that sentiment and and the catharsis that we feel and so I think that's for me, like that continues to be the spark. That continues to be the reason why. And I feel as much as sometimes the frustration of the theater and the certainly the problems that are inside of the industry right now. There's so much fear. There's so much crumbling infrastructure. There's such a need for a revamping of so many of the old models, rethinking. We need visionary, new leaders who can bring audiences back but i think like it is foundational to society it really is i think of that quote what is it art soup art soup yeah the audience yeah, is yeah, art yeah. yeah i look from search yeah. for, but was there a moment in your life where you thought okay i'm gonna take this turn you know and go towards theater or oh god I mean, towards theater or away from theater? Towards theater. Oh, you said. I think I just always, I was just like always wanted to do theater. I always did. I just was, it was the only thing I cared about. I never could imagine doing anything else. And I mean, I wanted to be an actor and then was told that I was terrible. So then I stopped doing that. And, you know, but I was really like, I think it was always, it was just always in my mind that was the best job in the world. And it's so funny to think about it now. For so long, all I felt like I wanted, I just kept saying, if I could just get hired to direct one play. And, you know, it's it's so wild to sort of look back, like particularly now when I'm at New York Theater Workshop and, you know, I remember being an intern there and just sitting in that theater and just feeling like, oh my God, someday, if only. And it's a very full circle moment in a lot of ways to be there. And just find what, what kept you going or what keeps you going during those moments of doubt, during those moments of 
I don't think I can do it anymore. I'm so glad that you convinced yourself otherwise. But what kept you, kept you in this place of, okay, I'm going to direct another and another. You know, sometimes I think what keeps me in is that like the writers that I work with and I'm just like, okay, this is my last, you know, like I, Hansel was like teasing me the other night because she was like, oh, you always say that this is your last play, but like, is this your last play? And I was like, well, unless you write something else for me, then yeah, you know, like that there's this way in which it's like, I, it's irresistible, a good story. It's irresistible to me and the chance to be with Lisa Crone or Madeline George or Hansel or David Wong or, you know, Janine. Yeah. I mean, I just think like, what could be better than that? You know, I, so like, even though sometimes the frustration and the desperation and the despair and the jealousy and all the things that go into having a life as a freelance theater artist, you know, and then I just think like, oh no, it's the best. It's the best. I'm the luckiest. And, and it's all, you know, it's all worth it. And then I try and hold on to that feeling for as long as possible. (laughs) Just like, Tightly in my fist. Well, Lee, we're lucky to have your work. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's a joy to have you. I really love your interview with you. It's so fun. It's thank, so you. Fun. thank you. Thank you. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Sarah Goodman and produced by Anna Strout. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.